Yeah. It okay. Was. My name is Sister Prince, and I'm interviewing uh, Dr. Peng uh, about the Asian immigration to St. Louis, uh, the exhibit at the Missouri Historical Society. And today is April 2nd, 1990. Um, Dr. Peng, we've been talking now um, about putting together something uh, in many areas of the city and I understand your desire to be, to participate in whatever is done. And strictly speaking for what we're doing, mm -hmm. um, what, what would you like to, how would you like it to be done as okay. your participation? Yes, to begin with, uh, I'd like to say that I appreciate uh, all your volunteer efforts that you put in, uh, Sister Prince, and uh, other persons such as the Cassidy Conference and uh, Anna Crossman and many other people, including Mary Cannon from Channel 4, are doing this worthwhile service, community service, and particularly the service that concerns Chinese Americans and Asian Americans in general. And uh, for that, again, let me say, I want to say thank you and express our appreciation. I'm having said that, I think uh, we realize now that uh, we have a need uh, to uh, create uh, a historical perspective of Chinese American communities. Uh, not because uh, this specifically for this display or that exhibit, but for our own historical reasons. We want to tell our kids that this is how the community began and how to evolve and what is the presidency situation. We do not want our kids to live in vacuum, in lack of any uh, information that relate that they can relate to their, to their own roots. Mm -hmm. Although uh, our roots goes way back, I mean, this involvement or station in St. Louis is only a small part of that. But nevertheless, this what in St. Louis? The involved in St. Louis is residence and grown up process. It's only a small part of the Chinese American tradition nationwide. But be that as may, it's a very important part. It's a part that must be uh, described fairly accurately and fairly truly reflect the, the evolution of the community. So for these reasons, we want to help the uh, uh, community at large to formulate this presentation. Of course, this take time. Uh, how how would you propose that it be done from your own perspective, and and what what is yeah. what is in your mind? Okay. What kind of plan? Seem to me there is uh, several stages. For the time being, we will su supply you with the photographs that you requested mm -hmm. for this initial what I call initial period of information. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever you have and whatever the writing we're going to put on will be a somewhat exploratory, mm -hmm. if you could put that In your word. words. Yeah, yeah exploratory. Mm -hmm. It's incomplete information, but we are working on a more complete package. Because mm -hmm. never... You, you understand that a larger part of this, as I said before, will be in another exhibit in a couple of years, which... That's precise what I mean. After you, I hear from you saying that, there is even more need now which will be to a do a better a job, picture. right, right. So we are hoping that maybe within the uh, 
time frame of say year or year and a half that uh, we can come up with a much much better much more complete version of our historic perspective well, let me say that i would be happy on behalf of the mm -hmm. missouri historical society to help you i appreciate that to listen mm -hmm. to record and yes to ask questions put together okay. something for you fine and, and I think there's maybe the more than just Missouri Historical Society involved, mm -hmm. because I've already tentatively uh, talked to Cassie Conference and so on, and they're willing to help us. Okay. And so what's shaping up to be is more like a cooperative program, which would then pull all the individual resources mm -hmm. in the past. And this will give us not only each of us has more information, but by combining all these information together, we can see the real pull, the real substance of the information itself. Right. If there is any conflict of information, we certainly will invest, investigate that. Mm -hmm. If there is a conflict to each other, so you can get a whole picture, not just a part of the whole. That's what one of the, our largest aims we like to do. What do you see for this small exhibit that we are doing? What would you feel I are think the most the important aspects for us to show? Well, I think that the most together. important aspect we should is show if we can ascertain at this time. Right. How, how early is, what, when is the earliest uh, formation of the Chinese community in Sumerus? I don't really know, to tell the truth. But if we can ascertain something like that, I've heard uh, somebody mention to me that there are people here as early as 1860, okay? But there have no proof or pictures or anything. Because then if it was 1860, and if you didn't have a habit of taking pictures or we, we, uh, putting a record together, chances are there is non-existent, yeah. But there is some word of mouth kind of a message that yes, the Chinese famous as early as 1860. Right, so that would be one thing, the, that the establishment. The establishment of, of the initiation, uh -huh. of the initial period. What? Then the next question will be, well, what was the uh, situation like during those initial, initial period? Mm -hmm. Now that initial period can be anywhere between 1860 to probably 1930 thereabouts. I can't be definite on time. Again, mm -hmm. we do not have enough information to ascertain that question yet. But hopefully in the future, we'll have enough information to give a good estimates. Now, the, the important thing here is probably during that period, probably all the Chinese immigrants, because under the very restricted quota, uh, immigrant quota law, and you may not be aware, but we have subject to the exclusion laws for a long time. So chances are they are not going to have a very uh, uh, well uh, mixed society. That is, they'll be isolated. Mm -hmm. And they'll probably be restricted to only a certain profession, like laundries, restaurants. Mm -hmm. And they probably will not have any chance for them to do anything else in society because they are not given the opportunity to participate. In fact, they were forbidden to participate for one reason or another.
And all of these results are two factors. One is the uh, uh, exclusion law during the 1880s. That's unjust, it's immoral, but nevertheless it was executed <laughs> by the United States Congress at that time. And as a result of that law, any Chinese Americans at that time has no rights in court, out of court, or even buy any properties, or even do any business, other than just minimal uh, profession like, like wash somebody else's clothes. Okay, the second factor was also during those days, most immigrants were of uh, uneducated labor, laborers. And, and not because they didn't want to educate themselves, but they couldn't afford the education back in their old home. And when they came over to this country, they were not given the opportunity to uh, educate themselves. So as a result, they are non-skilled and, and they are sort of uh, being cast out by society at large. Mm -hmm. And so they were struggling. They were barely survivable by the whatever means they can, they can do. And I believe you said on the phone that we had mostly bachelors because... Yes, because the immigration quota was so strict, the only way they can perpetuate themselves, they can you know, at least maintain the continuation of the Chinese community, is for them to, to work here all their life, hard labor, mm -hmm. and then go back to Hong Kong, or they were allowed to, to marry in Hong Kong and, and presumably uh, have a son or daughter or whatever they can bring back. In other words, that son will not be in the subject to the extraneous uh, And he could be a citizen. It, he will be a citizen he's and he's allowed to come in. Mm -hmm. And he was allowed to come in. Could he be a citizen if he, he had, didn't he have to be born here to be a citizen? No, because uh, this old immigrant was allowed to go to Hong Kong or bring to that Canton village. No, not bring the family. To get married and only to bring, I think it's one son, a member to replace himself, basically. Oh. <laughs> okay. In other words, uh, this way the community can survive at their existence. In other words, it cannot be terminated. It will not be terminated. Okay. In other words, the Congress at that time hadn't see had been that ruthless to terminate the community by uh, <laughs> forbidding you come back or forbidding you to have your your your, your kids to, to come here. You said they were humane enough to allow you to replace yourself. But he could bring his son with him. Yeah, he can bring his son with him, or his son can come in later. Claim that his claim. father is such and such. Mm -hmm. okay. But then be a citizen? Could he have be a citizen? I, I don't know for sure, but I think they are, yeah, they, they were uh, recognized as citizens. But then the citizenship at that time means nothing because they were still subject to the exclusion laws. Citizen or not, you are not allowed to live as like everybody else. Okay? Right. You're condemned. When you said, "Well, you're condemned to be the lowest class in the society," 
And that's how bad it was. Yes, I understand that. Yeah. Now, fortunately, <laughs> uh, World War II come up, and uh, China and the United States uh, and us allied to each other, and we were on the same side. So after the big sacrifice of World War II, uh, the Congress finally see the wisdom to repeal the <laughs> exclusion laws. What were the actual reasons? It was reason because of California. Uh, uh, I think there were two reasons. One is the uh, building railroad across the United States, and they need a lot of cooties. You know. No, no. Why did? Why was it? Repeal. Oh, repeal? Yeah. Because it wasn't humane. Well, with that, it wasn't humane before. I know that, but what, what were the oh. forces that, that well, I, drove I think, them? I think, well, there are two, 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 I mean, two forces. Generally, yeah, after two forces. The, after the yeah, World two War forces. Uh, the, the Chinese government during World War II have spoken, must have spoken to the, uh, uh, who was the president then? Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt, yeah. And through that channel, express that you know this cannot go on forever. You may have made a mistake in the past, but now is time to repaint yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Secondly, I think the Americans during World War II was exposed to a lot of uh, 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 Chinese that they have not come to contact with. So they finally realize through the war experience that Chinese, first of all, Chinese are not all coolies, okay? Secondly, China is not a tiny country. It has a very old tradition. It's had long history. It's a very civilized country to begin with. And it has it's, it's many facets in many ways that are superior to the United States. So this thing come about in a very slow evolution way. But I think by the end of World War II, the, the general public finally realized that there's another China picture mm -hmm. instead of the, the coolie picture grew out of the, uh, the railroad building, the gold digging of California those days. Right. Because prior to that, that's the only thing they knew. They didn't know any better. Frankly, international law. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now we've got we're up to World War Two. Yeah. So so that was one period, but then even then, uh, the quota is strictly 105 per year, mm -hmm. although the vision has been expanded. And now know Chinese means more than just restaurant owners. But the quota was still there, 105 immigrants per year. And this condition persisted until around 1949, 1951, when the Korean War broke out. I think the North Korea in Benin, South Korea was about 1950, or I forgot exact date now. Mm -hmm. It was around 1950, June or 1950, or yeah, I think it was 1950. Okay. Yeah.
so when that happens, uh, and also the fact that the, the, the communists had taken over most of uh, uh, China mainland, there there's so many uh, students that was in the United States before all these big change take place. They finally suddenly find themselves they couldn't go back for political reasons, for for uh, 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 communist rule uh, country that they didn't want to go back to, or they couldn't put themselves and be subject to the to the kind of dictatorship that the communist government represents. For all these reasons, they couldn't go back. And so there was emergency bill in the Congress to allow these students to stay beyond the normal visa. A sort of political refugee, you might say. Mm -hmm. But these people now, they're all college students. And many of them went on to become graduate students because they got nothing else to do. That's one of the motivations. That's when when did you come? 52. Because? Uh, I had a slight different reason, not exactly the same reason. Okay. But uh, I didn't want to go back. That's, that's one of the part of my consideration. I had a fact. Well, I, first of all, I lost the contact with was the uh, home back in Suchar, which is a city next to Shanghai that President Nixon visited many years later. <laughs> uh, so that was part of a factor in my consideration, but I have other reasons. Basically, uh, let's face it, the United States does represent uh, then and now a golden opportunity for individual to achieve his maximum potential. How do you feel about the United States? That's what I said. Then and now, I still feel the United States is the best country for an individual to achieve his maximum potential. I heard that. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, how do you feel about the United States? In regard to what? Just generally your feelings at the moment. Oh, I think uh, we have a very open democ uh, democracy political system, which I think is better in many respects than the old countries. The fact that the we can uh, openly criticize the president, that's something people back home never heard of. I mean, you know, you're talking about treason here if you talk if you criticize the president or emperor or whoever in chief honcho is. So that's a, a, a dramatic uh, change in thoughts that government supposed to be serving the people rather than the other way around. Because you have to realize in all countries, and I'm still sure in Europe the same way, when the government official comes down on people, he's not a servant. He's a, a, like a king, like uh, <laughs> way up there somewhere. You're talking up, he's talking down to you. You know, you're not supposed to tell him anything. He's going to tell you what you're supposed to do. How old were you when you came? Uh, Twenty... Two or twenty-three thereabouts. Was this hard for you to um, learn to live with this? Was it easy? Oh, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. In fact, uh, uh, 
each of us, and I've met a lot of uh, students that came in during that period or thereafter. It's much easier now, but during those days, uh, the number of students were relatively small compared to the students now coming over every, every time. And also, we didn't have any knowledge before we came over here what the United States was like. We didn't have made good preparation as to you know, how the language is and how should we, we uh, conduct ourselves. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little thing that we have heard is somebody graduated from Cambridge in, Britain, in, in England and telling us, now this is a Western civilization. And I'm very, kind of stuck up a situation. In other words, you have to be very careful not to do this, not to do that. When I came out uh, on shore, the first thing I noticed uh, in, uh, in uh, I think it was Anchorage when I had my first breakfast after a oh, long flight. came through. Yeah, Anchorage, Alaska. Alaska. Yeah. And I uh, went to a cafe and there's nothing formal about it. I mean, you can take a one fork and do whatever you want. And immediately I said, well, this is good. <laughs> you know, I don't have to follow this, this strictly protocol stuff. And not everybody is, is that serious about this. It was like learning to live again in a different way. You might say that. You might say that. But uh, I, I was thinking, I, I wouldn't say that it's in any bad sense. No, no. Yeah. Uh -uh. It's just it's different. different. It's different, yeah. You don't know how to conduct yourself properly. You don't know what the proper... Uh, uh, conduct is. What is people expect of you? You don't know. Okay, so you kind of a constant peeking the, the over your shoulder. Say, well, what, what is he doing here? <laughs> Maybe I should do the same thing he's doing. Mm -hmm. and, and things like that. But still, we had uh, uh, on top of this, we had language problem, which I won't deny because it is a big transition for the the uh, uh, Eastern people to go from a complete uh, civilization based on different language. And now when I say language, I'm not talking about just the language per se, but the language is system. Body language also. Well, body, that's another end of the point. But I'm saying, if you're in Europe, you may talk German, but German, French, British, they still belong to the same language system. Mm -hmm. They all derive from Latin somewhere, mm -hmm. okay? So the basic language uh, uh, rules are similar, even though they have differences among them. But that's minor compared to from character reading. Uh, all of a sudden, have to switch to the phonetic system. And that's entirely different. It's so different that you really have to have difficult time to cope with it. Under whose auspices did you come over? Uh, I had uh, a... Uh, scholarship going to Notre Dame University. Although I quickly found out that Notre Dame University is not where I want to stay after one year because uh, to be very frank, I, I like the, the United States surrounding all that, but I found out the uh, Notre Dame University is not interest, uh, not emphasized in academics. They're talking about footballs. To this day, I still have this, this, I can't throw off this idea that a university is, 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 is a football team. I, I have very <laughs> difficulty with that. <laughs> it seemed to me, and our university is institution for learning. Well then, the learning should be the primary importance. Were you Catholic? Are you Catholic? No, I'm not Catholic. But we had uh, acquaintance with a Catholic church. Actually, my brother is a Catholic. So, uh, uh, 
that's how I get, get to come. Uh, anyway, I think we're over a branch now. Let's, let's come back to the main point here. So it was difficult for me because we had to go through the language part. And now you have all kind of, uh, you know, high schools can, can give you English lessons on that. Then we didn't have all these things. You're on your own. <laughs> Swim or sink, you're on your own. Okay. So you came over here to go to uh, an American college. With graduate school at that. Graduate school. Yeah. And had to, had to, had and to. And ha didn't know how to speak the language. Well, not exactly. Because we all had uh, English courses back home, you know. But I found out very quickly, and I've been telling everybody ever since, you can have all kinds of language courses. Like if you could study Chinese course in the United States, it's not the same thing when you go to China and you're back to the wall. Either you speak or you starve, <laughs> okay? It's an entire thing. Besides, conversation is not a dead language. It's not something just read the book. To give you some, some interesting situations, what we had to do when we first came uh, we have to listen to your talk. Hopefully you talk slow and simple. Then we will take that, digest in our heads, translate into Chinese. What are you trying to say? <laughs> translate into Chinese and try to understand what you're trying to say. Now once that process is done, then we say, oh, I know what you're asking. Now I have to come up with the answer, right? Mm -hmm. But I came up answer in Chinese. So assuming that I have answer right away, now I have to translate that back into English before I can come up with a sound and answer your question. Now in that process, we worry about a lot of things, which we didn't have to worry before about own, like, our own language. For example, what is the tense I should use? What's the gender? What's the number? What verb should it be used? What's, is that proper or improper? Now you can see this process takes time. And even if I was smart, it would take probably, maybe it took two to three minutes. Well now, before you, between the time you asked the question, and I went through all these gyrations in my head, it's about five minutes. And during that five minutes, there's absolutely no response from me because I'm working so hard trying to get a response to you. <laughs> How long did it take, Dr. Singh, before that didn't have to be that way? You, you have to force yourself. So what have, uh, later on what I have to do, I realize this is a problem because that way, if, if we go on that process, I can never go beyond thank you, good morning, and that's it, because those are easy ones. Okay. If I want to express a point or argue a point, I couldn't because I don't have time to, to make all this delicate balance of language. So what I had to do finally, I realized this, this is after six months. <laughs> uh, and he said, well, how do you conduct this in class? Well, the, all we could do at that time is to take notes. Whatever teacher puts on the board, we write down. But take notes, as you know, it diverts your attention to what teachers say. 
So we'll forever play catch-up. And that's the disadvantage of any foreign students. And it's hard. And the teacher doesn't know. The teacher says, well, you must be not very good. <laughs> I mean, why it takes you so long to understand this? And then come with answer which may not be relevant to my question. What he did not realize is all this hard work I have to do in order to understand him and learning the course at the same time. And so most of us... Did you feel that you could tell him or did you want to... No, I couldn't because... Because, not because they were faced, I have right. to form the question in order to tell him that. And I don't have time to, to form all these speeches because to form that speech now, I would have to, to write down, have to practice, plus the old traditional way is that, say, you should not speak unless you're spoken to. This tradition is deep in our minds. So we have to be really aggressive in order to take initiative and say, hey, I want to talk to you, teacher, you know what I mean? That's unheard of. So with all these three factors, the practical difficulties, the spiritual, the emotional difficulties, you, you do not have a chance to talk to a teacher. Oh, how interesting. I mean, this I mean, that, that really has well, it may be interesting to you, but... it, but I mean, to yeah. understand it. Yeah, but it was so difficult. It was difficult. That's it was, right. It was a real problem for us. And I can tell you, uh, without any hesitation, I've, I've talked to a lot of people later on, and a lot of people went crazy because of that. Mm -hmm. They couldn't, couldn't cope with it. Well, that's why I, my question, when you say, I don't dispel the, uh, what I meant before was, it was learning to live in a whole different way. Yeah, yeah. And then you have to cope with the culture, the, the, the daily uh, living mm -hmm. style, and, and uh, in the meantime, you have to be very careful not to offend anybody, because you really don't know whether you offend anybody or not, after you utter out some words, did which you just learned. <laughs> did people, um, did you feel that people were accessible to you? Did there were a lot of yeah. There were a lot of helpful people. There were a lot students. of helpful people, students and, and sometimes teachers. Mm -hmm. But still, these are sporadic things. I mean, it's not like have a social social worker next to you and, and chat with you all day long. They just you meet somebody in the hallway, and he happened to like you, and, and stop and listen to you and trying to explain to you a couple of things and you can ask a couple of questions, you know. Well, listen, as you describe it, your time was limited because it took you twice as long to That's study true. and everything. That's true. You probably didn't have time. That's why I said the first six months is very difficult. On top of all that, most of the early students that came to the United States were not son and daughter of any rich people. Like millionaire. Now there's a lot of rich students. We have to watch our pocket. We couldn't afford to live in dormitory. We have to find an apartment and three or four of us get together and cook Chinese dinner. Not because we have to have a Chinese dinner, but that was the cheapest way to survive. Well, not only that, it's yeah. set, I was, it was going to be the next question and how, how did that work with your digestion and how did well, you feel? Well, because of economic necessity and Partly because of this, uh, uh, yeah, this uh, diet.
Okay? It wasn't a question of whether I had the choice. Or, it's not a matter of choice, it's a matter of survival. And of course, with that, all these dating games and, and, and weekend, we all hit the books because that's the only time we can play, play catch up. Whereas American students is gone, long gone for, for a day. Watching football. Yeah, I mean, so it's an entirely different world. But anyway, I don't want to make a story too long here, but after realizing all of this, what I had to do, I finally found located a overseas Chinese. His uh, native language is Cantonese, and I can't speak Cantonese. He came from Mauritius Island, the British territory. They speak English. So he has no problem. But I told him, said, look, I have a problem here. So uh, at that point, both he and I transferred to IIT in, in Chicago. To where? IIT, you know, Institute of Technology, mm -hmm. in Chicago. So I made sure that I said, look, why don't we live together in the same dormitory? He says, fine. I said, and I showed him very simply. I said, look, one of the major reasons is I want to have a chance to practice my English. And you are it. <laughs> so he said, fine. I, I, he doesn't mind that. So it's that kind of situation. I said it for myself, forced me to use English every day, That's every minute. Smart day. Well, it may be smart, but, you know, I, I realized that's, Either you do it or you die. Uh, I don't mean literally, but but you got to think of a way to break out this logjam. Either you do it or you go back to China. Well, not necessarily. There are people here. That's why there are people in the Chinese community. They can stay here for 20, 30 years. They still have not mastered the English language. But I don't think you would have done it. I think you wanted to. That was not my choice. You were going to be something, and it's right. either going to be a here or you're going to go back and yeah. be a there. That was not my choice. So I choose uh, th th this this route, and sure enough, I found out the one other thing that you have to do in order to master language. You cannot learn in this conversation by reading. No, it's no go. Okay? You learn the conversation by speaking. But before you do that, you have to have a set up a situation where everybody knows you're learning. And everybody does not mind if you speak something fantastic wrong. <laughs> and thirdly, you have the courage to say, look, I'm learning, so I'm going to say the wrong thing and many times, and I'm going to be laughed at because of that, but I don't care. I'm going to bluff my way through it. Someday, I'm going to come to a point where I don't have to worry about that anymore. Dr. Ping, where did you get this motivation from? Where in your family did you get this motivation? Not because of family, because uh, I realized that in this country where I was all alone then, I have no relatives. I don't have a Chinatown relative to go to. But and you had a motivation to come here. Yeah, because I want to make something of myself. For the same reason, I went from my hometown to go to Taiwan for, for college education. My sister stopped and said, well, why don't you stay where we are? We can take care of it. I said, no, I don't want to be taken care of. I want, I want to be somebody on my own. I want to have a chance to, to, to develop my own uh, career. So I went to, to Taiwan, far away from all the relatives. What did your relatives do? What did your father do? Hello. Oh, that's my wife. 
Helen. Prince, yeah, from Missouri Historical Society. Well, anyway, I think that's sufficient reason. As a young man, and kind of a little devil, devil type. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, wa I want to give myself a chance to try anyway. Okay. So I went from home to Taiwan to the United States. Okay. And all these you know, difficult times that I was talking about, well, it's all part of the grown up learning process. So mm -hmm. anyway, uh, I was able, after about three years of this, I was able to uh, carry on a normal conversation without stopping, thinking, oh, uh oh, I've made a mistake here, <laughs> without interrupting. But I've been able to keep that guy interested enough so we can carry on. And uh, after that, But there are stages now, at least I have passed. I don't have to apologize for myself. I don't have to worry about the basic skill of language. Mm -hmm. I can carry on normal conversation. I can even crack a joke every now and then, you know, that kind of thing. Do you speak Chinese? Yeah, I'm speak with, still speaking Chinese. But one other thing which I found the language very important, I finally realize language is like it's a living thing. Not just because some words you read on a piece of paper. No, that's not language. Language is how you think. And if you think in terms of English, that's how you speak English. Now and let's let's get back to uh You're ready? No, oh, okay. Um let's get back to Oh, before that, we got to wrap this pretty quick because we got to oh. uh, go to pick up a car and repair it.
ranging from north to south and they speak different dialects and many of them, the northerners, have different perspective because they were not coming from a family who's always poor peasants. A lot of them has uh, previous government officials uh, but couldn't go back because communists took over the control. So you have a much better level, higher level of intellect plus the dynamics of the, of the energies that propel themselves into a higher level of society. And many of them did not open a restaurant, even though some of them did. Okay. But uh, many of them become university professors. And that's what you see, as even today, there's a lot of Chinese American professors in university. Because that was one of another easy access for them to do. Is there a Taiwan community here? There is a Taiwan community. And do you uh, know someone from that community? Yeah, I know someone. Could you give me his name? Well, uh, at this point, I better talk to them first before I, I give you any names. Uh, you, I think you have to exercise a little uh, caution because you, there is a Taiwan independence movement in this country. Mm -hmm. And philosophically, we don't agree. Okay, they want to claim that they're different people. We say they're not, because their grandpa came from one of the Fujian province in China. They claim that uh, all the nationalists are corrupt. We agree that national government will corrupt, but that's no reason to deny your own ancestry. So we have some philosophical differences, very serious ones. How, how do the Chinese, aside from the Taiwanese, how does the Chinese community here identify with their cultural background? Well, the culture, where you come down to it, is all Chinese culture. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not talking about the Taiwanese. Forget the Taiwanese, yeah. but how, how, do, how does the Chinese community in St. Louis identify with their culture? Well, what do you mean by that? Well... Do you follow it? Do you pass it on to your children? Uh, do you try to um, keep it going? Okay, there are certain basic elements we do pass down. That's why we have Chinese language school. Okay, we do not want our next generation to become American without even awareness that there is a Chinese language. Although we realize that they are in this country and they have to survive not by using Chinese language, they are mm -hmm. using English language. But that's okay because they are in a the school, they are born here, they pick up English on their own. They don't have to be taught how to speak English. Mm -hmm. But they do have to be taught how to speak Chinese at least for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. This will then give them the impression that we see the put the seed in their minds mm -hmm. that that's where they come from. Okay. It's sort of a root system, you know. Do you have conflicts about your ancestral home? What kind of conflicts? I don't know. What kind of conflicts? In what way? I mean well, um, a lot of people, not in particularly in the Chinese community, not at all in the Chinese uh -huh. community, but in other communities, have conflicts with being you mean way of doing things? American 
Uh, they want to be purely American, and they do not want to identify with their Well, actually, yeah. You know, this kind of situation occurs every day. And, and I don't think it's right to generalize it. Because in any given family, even our family, the kids, when they were very young, they naturally have a tendency to think of themselves as Americans. Because their primates are, are Americans. They are in this country and they notice what social condition is. And when we start talking about what happened back home, they say, well, we're not in here. You know, you're back there and we're here. We, we have nothing to do with that. So there's also a natural tendency to claim that they are Americans. Well, they are Americans, aren't they? Sure. But when, when I say that, I mean, I mean in terms of culture. Uh -huh. Okay. So when we, we uh, uh, start saying, okay, you've got to go to Chinese language school, the first reaction was, well, why should I? I don't have to learn Chinese language. It's your language, not mine. Right. You know? But then we start explaining to them. But now, in most of the Chinese families, the, the kids are still has a little more tradition, or at least a stick to the tradition that they listen to parents. I mean, they are not as tame as we were, but they still have a tendency yeah, to listen to parents. So it's not too difficult to say, okay, you've got to go to China language school. Okay, you got to at least go there for two years for me, if not for yourself, for me. So you're trying to pass the values on. Yes, we're trying to pass the values. And in the process, we pass more than just language values. Mm -hmm. There's moral values. Right. And uh, unfortunately, I find you know, this country needs to be a little more uplifted in moral values. <laughs> so anyway, this is the situation. Then there are a certain period of time they will go through the sort of high school. By the time they go through college, they have a tendency to come back. Mm -hmm. Because when they go to college, and most other college kids start to recognize them not as a fellow college student. They say, hey, you are a member of a Chinese community as if they were foreigners, even though they were not. So the impression and the, the, the reaction like that occurs often enough. So at some point in that time, they say, oh, maybe I should think about where I come from. Maybe just by claiming American is not the whole thing. Yes, you know. because uh, your features um, are Asian, and that may Point yeah. that out more to your children. Well, that well, that's true. But you can say the same thing about blacks. You know, there's obvious difference. Obvious. In yeah. Right. So that that's a difficult. That's a source of, of a conflict. So when they started coming coming back, mm -hmm. say that now uh, they want to know more about Chinese culture. They want to know more about where they come from. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of that. Then we would tell them, says yes. We'll welcome you, come back. <laughs> Not that we want to make you Chinese 100%, no. You re you're in this country, you're American. But it takes you to realize where you come from before you're forging forward and fighting your own rights. At least that's what I told my kid. Yeah. I said, look, I would do anything to let you know how our glorious our ancestry is mm -hmm. and how bad they were. Okay? And I said, I'll give you a good and bad story. I'm not going to give you only good. Because no man in this world is always both good mm -hmm. or always bad. But what I want you to do is having you uh, realize this past roots now that I'm telling you. 
Now you realize who you are. That's the first sign. And if somebody starts to point fingers at your chinks, you know how to defend yourself. Because you now have background information to say, hey, chinks are not coolie. Or even the word chink is bad because I know where the word comes from now. When you say that word, you imply I'm such as, which I'm not. Imply your what? Well, chink is a word applied to Chinese Americans. Right. When they say that, they mean you're the coolies of 1860s. I, I never really did know what that. Okay, okay. now, now I mean, you I've know. heard the word, but yeah. I. It's like telling Negro, I'm the yes. black and niggers. Yes. Okay? Yeah. I knew it wasn't it, it, good, it, I just yeah. didn't know it, where it, it came from. It refers to that, it has a mm -hmm. reference to that part of history. Mm -hmm. Has that in, in the connotation to it. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I said to that, so look, first you have to arm yourself with facts, with your background. And you have to be proud of your own background in order to defend it. If you're not proud of it, you can't defend it. I said, by defending it, does not mean all your background is super. But by defending, you know the truth, what your backgrounds are. Do you feel that, are there a different status um, in the Chinese community here, economic and social? Um, does it matter when you came? and? And, uh, it's not so much of that. What is but the tradition, again, he go back to tradition. Tradition does have classification of levels, of the social levels of each individual. Traditions from, from China? Yeah. The cultural the things culture. that we're talking Actually, it's not only Chinese culture. This tradition I'm talking about is a Confucius culture. That is, it has influence throughout Asia, including Japanese. The Japanese civilization early is built upon Confucius. They copied everything from us. So their society is just as bureaucratic structured, basically according to the Confucius, before they adopted the democracy system. Mm -hmm. And they still are. For example, you, if, you, if you go to Japanese family, they're even more so than we are, at least the family I know of. Uh, the kids is a strictly obedient to their father. That is a Confucius culture. It's not Chinese culture per se. It's a Confucius culture because Confucius is Chinese and was exported to all these different countries. Mm -hmm. the Japan, the Thailand, the Vietnamese, the, uh, you know, all the Asian countries, Koreans particularly. And this is why there is a common thread to the, to the oriental culture. Also, isn't uh how about Buddhism? Buddhism is not our own making. No, but no, we, but that is yeah, a we, common we, we thread. Import, yeah, we import from... Uh, uh, Thailand? No, no, not Thailand. From India, back in Tang Dynasty, which is about... Uh, let's see. But it isn't Thailand. No, Buddhi it isn't. No, Thailand was also influenced... Well, I just interviewed two people who at a Buddha temple here, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have Buddhism. We have Buddhist temple everywhere. Yeah. But the Buddhism originated well, in Well, I don't India. know where it originated. I India. just meant that... Yeah, I'm telling you, in India. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, but I was speaking of locally. Oh, locally, okay. Uh, then, then uh, as a result of that, the Buddhism has become a, a unofficial official religion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dr. Ping, how much does of what happens in China today affect you 
as far as uh, how you feel and well, it affects me emotionally, definitely. It does not affect me financially good because we have our own families now. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are not dependent on the folks back home or the officials of the government back home. Uh, we have no formal connection of any kind in that regard. Do you find like the day after Tiananmen Square, uh, you get any um, conversation from your friends here that aren't Oh yeah, we Chinese. discussed that uh, very, very extensively because we are all emotionally tied to that event. But do you get extra conversation about it from your non-Chinese ancestral, uh, the people that are not a, a Chinese, the Caucasians, your friends? Uh, we talked about it whenever uh, the occasion arises. I mean, there's no, hey, what's going on in your country? type of thing? No, not really. Good. Because after all these years now, my neighbor recognized me just like I recognized him. Mm-hmm. We're, we have passed that, that barrier. Not that they don't accept me, but I think out of their concern, they do talk about it because they know I'm emotionally tied to that. Mm-hmm. But they're talking about, as, as one American talked to another American, just like if I see a Irish American, I always say, well, how do you think this uh, Northern Ireland situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Not because he's Ireland uh, and anything, but I know he's had emotional tie with that. So you would approach him on I that level? I would approach him on that level. Mm-hmm. I, uh, recently, if I see a, a Lithuanian uh, uh, descendant, I would ask the same questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you feel? Or do you think that he's going to have a chance this time? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's, it's a question or the conversation out of concern. Not out of uh, any, any. Uh, uh, and, and you. In, in, in the sense of, of, of uh, prejudice. Yeah, prejudice or foreign treatment, you know. Mm-hmm. So, that's fine. Has St. Louis been a good place for you and your children and your family, your wife? In terms of what? Uh, in terms of living, kind of life that you'd like to. In terms of feeling. Um, like you're part of the community in terms of being able to make the kind of living that you want to, being accepted? Well, that's probably true everywhere. I could have gone to, uh, you know, uh, Chicago, Illinois. Well, we don't know. I'm just or asking you, yeah. has, has St. Right. Louis been? I think St. Louis is just good as, as good you? as any other place yeah, to establish a family, to uh, uh, maintain a professional status, to have a job. How did you get to St. Louis? Uh, because uh, I applied for McDonald Douglas in 1967. Actually, it wasn't McDonald Douglas then, it was McDonald then. Mm-hmm. Now, you had told me on the phone about the, the two Chinese communities here. You say you have more, but you had sort of described it on the phone as the old Chinatown people yeah. and the intellect. We, we still have that problem, and we have more problems because this uh, Taiwanese uh, movement, mm-hmm. so we have now have uh, more problems. But your New Year's Eve parties. Well, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to to uh, minimize the differences. Mm-hmm. We're trying to show all our people that, in spite of what each of us may think, we really come from the same origin, have the same culture, and 
has lots of common narrative. We have more commonalities than, than differences. Mm -hmm. So the idea behind this have different Chinese groups come together to sponsor a Chinese New Year festival. That was the motivation. And to some degrees, I think we have succeeded. Mm -hmm. so how, are you, how does it? Yeah, it come out to be, uh, we have six co-sponsors mm -hmm. and uh, we have uh, 600 people attended the uh, uh, New Year festival, mm -hmm. including the, the, uh, the general public, which we were very pleased because we want to expose ourselves to the public. We want people to understand us as we are not as what they think we ought to be. If you could pick one thing that you would want people to know, or not one thing, but the, generally the most important thing about the Chinese community, um, what would that be? I think we still have a uh, discrimination in employment. That was be the, the most important to me because uh, we, it's not we don't have a job, we have a job. But but a promotion is very hard to come by, especially when the promotion applies to a managerial positions or the position of authority, position of responsibility. Uh, the one of the common excuses always they use, well, you don't speak good enough English. Mm. And uh, I can <laughs> tell them, says, look. Go to the medical centers. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because uh, they're, 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 they're necessity. Uh, it's more like, uh, one expression that we often use that we're good enough to be a higher hand, but we're never good enough to be the boss. Now, without a cultural background, like you said, going to the teacher, mm -hmm. you don't speak, you know, those ingrained things, it's hard to go in and ask for a raise. It's hard for just people who don't have that ingrained in them to go in and ask for a raise. How is it for you, not but you? There, there is a catch here. Now, okay, having said that, what I've said before is certainly applied to the first generation immigrants. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you were referring to mm -hmm. when you say mention what you're saying because is that somebody the like first, yourself? Right, first I'm immigration. Someone like yourself yeah. without now trying to ask you personally. Yeah, they are. They are <coughs> even among the first immigration uh, uh, immigrants, Christian immigrants. We have learned many uh, ways of the American society. And we have learned to be there or to be. Daring. Uh, yeah, <laughs> to be to be uh, uh, aggressive. Aggressive. Yeah, or assertive, or whatever you the <laughs> word you want to use. But we have a learning process that unless we're going to speak up, we're not going to get in the way. Unfortunately, by the time we learn that, it's too late for us. But I can tell you, I can assure you, I'm determined not to make my kids make the same mistake. So I said, look. I had all this difficulty when I came, but you don't have to. You're born here, you're entitled to all the things that I wasn't entitled to. Not only that, you don't have language difficulty. Don't, don't let anybody tell you you have language difficulty. You uh, graduate from the same high school. You know you're better than a lot of other kids, white or black. So you're not having language difficulty. Don't, don't say that. But most of all, be positive. 
So I expect the second generation. Now you can see that a lot of second generations already uh, can be as aggressive as any other Americans. So they're not going to take that, whatever that's been dished out to us. Okay, they're going to take a stand, and fight for what they want, mm -hmm. which I say, hooray! <laughs> so I think in time, the second as the second generation becomes multiplied, becomes more and more of them, and there will be more and more change in social attitudes. In this, uh, do you have names for your first generation or second generation, like the Japanese do, Nisi and East? Nisei, Nisei, Sansei, yeah, do, you yeah. have, do you have names? No, we don't have a name like that, mm -hmm. but you can tell. Yeah. You can? Yes, they behave differently. The second generation is different, they behave differently. They behave American, basically. Can you, can you make that a little bit more? Well, first of all, they know all the slang that you know. And that's one of the big things to, to make it. First of all, you find the first generation immigrants usually, they can speak good English, but they don't always comprehend jokes. Because jokes and slang is the hardest fuck language to learn. But you see, sometimes today, even at my particular age, I don't understand, I don't even know the meaning of some of the words that younger people use. Yeah, but that's a different kind. That's mm -hmm. that's it. It's not that you haven't exposed to them, okay? But because well, the I, slang you know, I, has I know changed. the words they have used. They they're using the meanings differently. But but what I'm saying that the slang jokes is the uh, um, social prevailing words. Mm -hmm. Okay, like you can tell a foreigner he will use some words which are not necessarily a popular word to use, although they convey the same meaning. But for an American born, yeah, for American born, mm -hmm. he will use more, more slang, more popular words. Mm -hmm. Now, people do not live in a particular place. Everybody kind of spreads out. Not anymore. We all scatter around in the mm -hmm. neighborhood. And that was due to the. What do you mean due to? Well, I mean like Anna, Li Lily Hong said that after the stadium was built in Chinatown was torn well, down. Okay, they, they were uh, official limitations to where they could, they could go. There were unofficial limitations where they could go. Mm -hmm. But since 1950, especially after 1970, all these popular concepts now have changed. And so we're, we're no longer uh, whether it's by official sanction or unofficial sanction, we no longer are required to stay here and there and there. Mm -hmm. We're now uh, fairly accessible to any, just about any place we want to go. Talk a little bit about uh, also what you said on the phone, which was that you, you really want to get these groups, these different Chinese groups together because you feel that there's strength in numbers. And sure, because that's the way the American democracy works. Not only that, another function is that for them to realize that, like I said, there's more commonality among us and there's differences. We, we really should not emphasize our differences because what that leads to is to uh, 
not diversity, but isolation of each little groups. Mm -hmm. And not only you can.